Good morning, EBC. You guys doing all right today? What an awesome, beautiful day the Lord has made, and we certainly come to rejoice and to be glad in it. We, uh, on uh, this past Sunday, we started, I think it was this past Sunday, we started uh, this new series called Relationships 101. Relationships 101. Um, and what we're saying is, is that we're going to go back to the, the base foundation, the root of what it means and what Jesus taught his disciples how to relate to one another. Because as I've told you before, it, uh, as I look at Christianity across this globe, in particular in this country that we live in, it's become keenly aware to me that the average Christian doesn't know how to relate well to other Christians. And Jesus spent an awful, an, an, an awesome amount of time uh, sharing these one another's and talking and teaching about how we as Christians should connect with each other. Because he understood that our unity as a body will be a, a display of his manifold wisdom to the world that the power of the gospel has the ability to transform a man's life. The power of the gospel, Sherry, has the ability to, to, to transform the way we think about others who we come in contact with. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna dig on it. We're gonna, I'm going to show you Bible. How many Bible believers do we have out there? How many out there really think and know and understand and are a living witness that the Bible is God's revealed word? And his revealed word has the power to transform your life and mine. Can I get a witness? I want to read something to you before I get into this, because I think it's critically important for us as Christians to be aware of what's happening in our surroundings. The Bible says we should walk, KJV says walk circumspectfully as wise men, redeeming the time. In other words, making the most of every opportunity. Well, there are some reality checks for the church that we got we to gotta really hone in on this. If y'all got those guys, y'all pop them up for me. Some reality checks for the church that we need to be aware of. The, the Barna Group uh, did some research, uh, and they came up with some, a sobering assessment of the state of the church in America. And listen, I believe, as, as these trends continue to come out, I believe that they are a fulfillment of biblical prophecy that, that Paul talked about. The, the climate and the atmosphere and people's mindset in the last days, we're seeing that unfold, amen, on the scene like never before. There's always been evil in the world, but when, those, when, when evil and people's mindset becomes so decadent, so, so devoid of truth, it, 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 sometimes if you're not careful, you'll get frustrated when you see people in that, in that vein. But I tell you, I get excited because I know this is Bible prophecy being fulfilled. But we need to know and understand it so that we can be out there in the community, in the world, sharing gospel truth. So the Barnard Group said this, number one, the church is becoming less theologically literate. Theologically literate. In other words, people may go to church, but they have no clue about theology and doctrine. And when you don't know foundational truth, it is very easy for you to be deceived by false truth in a false narrative that's, that's been mapped toward the church. It's very easy for you now as a denomination to say it's okay for a man to marry a man. It's okay for a woman to marry a woman. And as a result, a certain denomination now is splitting apart because some says we're going to hold the biblical truth and others says we're going to allow the culture to determine how we relate to people. Are y'all with me today? The church is becoming less theologically literate. Basic Christian truths are, are increasingly foreign, especially in young believers. And so fewer and fewer church members possess a biblical worldview because we don't have any foundational truth that we're standing on. Second thing they said was the church is becoming more ingrown and less outreach oriented. It's becoming more ingrown and less outreach oriented. Now, unless you've been asleep on a rock somewhere for this past year, you know that we've been emphasizing the importance of us as a church and you as an individual Christian to, to make the concerted effort to get connected and involved with some of our outreach ministries. 
Because we want to take what we're learning and be able to, to articulate it and show that to the world at large. We say it every Sunday. We are believing that every member of this church will become disciple believers who consistently walk in the ways of God and have kingdom impact in our homes, schools, our jobs, and our community at large. We want to reflect our faith and lead others into a what? Personal relationship with the Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a very pertinent question. It's very important that you listen to me. When was the last time you shared your testimony with somebody? When was the last time you shared your story? When was the last time you led someone to the Lord? Wow. Has it been that long? Have you, even, have you even talked to anybody who's not already? Now, it's easy for us to talk to other Christians, right? We're coming at, in the Lord good, brother. Yes, he is. Hallelujah. And we got the Christianese down. We can talk it. But what about the unsaved? What about the unrighteous? If you look at Jesus' life, he spent a lot of time with those who didn't know what it meant to have a relationship with God. And he instructed us to do the very same thing. But the church is becoming more ingrown and less outreach-oriented. It says the gulf between the saved and the lost is growing larger each year. Regular, here this, regular church attenders have less in common with the unchurched. Believers are becoming content to be isolated from non-believers. Now, I'm going to give you a challenge. Over the next three months, I want you to connect with somebody who's not a believer. When I say connect with, just start talking to them. You'll be amazed when you begin to look at your life, how many of the people who you talk to on a regular basis are people who are just like you, saved, gain the same value systems. But God is calling on all of us to be disciple makers, right? He's calling upon all of us to reach the lost with the gospel. And we can't reach them if we don't talk to them. If we're running from them. A growing number of church members are less interested. Third thing, a growing number of church members are less interested in spiritual principles and more interested in learning pragmatic solutions for life. Teach me A, B, and C. How to get more money. Teach me this right so I can do, advance my career. Teach me this, this, and this. And rather than learning, amen, spiritual principles that will guide you even in the hard times of life. Spiritual principles that can, that can restore broken relationships. Are you with me today? Fourth thing he said was, for new Christians, interest in participating in community action is escalating. New Christians want to get involved. In social justice. They want to get involved uh, in, in serving and in relating to the community at large. Whereas older members, older Christians are kind of settled with, yeah, yeah, you know, I, 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 I go to church every Sunday. Let me tell you, you can be 75 and still do, be involved with outreach. You can be 75 or 80 and still be a missionary. God is calling on all of us to utilize our gifts to reach the community at large. So, uh, fifth thing he said was in a post Christian society, the insistence on tolerance under any condition is gaining ground within the church. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, he said moral absolutes are no longer deemed important in a growing number of denominations and churches. In other words, the truth of God's word is like, well, you know, I know what the Bible says, but you know what? Uh, that's the way that person is, so just let's, 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 let's don't judge. How many of y'all got family members and friends who say don't judge? Well, let me tell you something. As a believer, you shouldn't be judging the world. That ain't your job. But we are to judge in the church. If you don't believe me, if you go to uh, 1 Corinthians, in that, I think it's that fifth chapter, where that guy was sleeping with his stepmother, and, and he, was, he was having an, an, an affair with his stepmama, and the church was not addressing the issue. And Paul got on the Corinthian church. They were flourishing in spiritual gifts, but they were not dealing with, amen, issues of lifestyle in the church. And Paul says, it's not your job to judge the world. We want to go out there and make laws to judge morality to those who aren't even saved. That's not the church's job. The church's job is to deal with us in the church. Amen. Are y'all track with me? Paul says, it's, it's, it's not my job to judge them. But he said, it certainly is your job to judge those in the church who are sinning. Y'all see the difference? All right? We run around trying to, try to get that person. How many of y'all remember that when people try to get you to stop drinking, you weren't even saved? 
Get them saved first. If they come to know Jesus and give their heart to him and become disciples, that drinking will fade away. How many of y'all came into the church with your, with your, with your sham pimple? Anybody drink sham pimple? That's old Fred Sanford reference there, Jerry. Well, how many of y'all came in to the church with your Hennessy? How many of you came into the church, got saved, but you still had your Jack Daniels in up in the... In, Hello? See, once you come to Jesus and begin to grow in him, the more of he, him... The more that he has of you, the less of that other stuff will have of you. Quit trying to gut the fish and clean him before you catch him. Catch him first and then let the gospel do the gut. Anybody who knows how to fish, you know what it means to gut the fish. You can't eat him just like you catch him. You got to gut him, split him down the middle, take all that stuff out. Right? We keep trying to gut him before we ever catch him. Amen? So the, in a post-Christian society, the insistence on tolerance under any condition is gaining ground in the church. There should be some moral absolutes in the church. There's, there should be some things that are right and wrong in the church based on the word of God. I'm not talking about the world, but the church. And lastly, he said, the influence of Christianity on today's culture has become largely invisible. That's sad, y'all. The influence of Christianity on today's culture has become largely invisible. Culture has recognized the sins and faults of the church and said, I think I'll pass on that. So what am I saying? It's time for us to live this stuff out in such a way that the world sees us living together, doing life together, worshiping together, serving together, uh, uh, loving together. And when they see that, Jesus said, it's going to cause them to understand that, Father, you did send me. And it's going to cause them to understand that you love the world just as much as you love me. Everybody say, they got to see it, though. Say it again. Say, they got to see it. Now, we started off with our first, amen, relationship uh, uh, command, which is to love one another, right? Everybody say, love my neighbor. Say love, love one another. Now, one of the things that we said, we said the characteristics of Christian love. Y'all remember that? We said on last, we say love is authentic, it's real, it's genuine. Everybody say love, love. is authentic. I'm talking about Christian love. It's, it's not fake, it is authentic. The second thing we told you is love is what? It's discerning. Everybody say discerning. In other words, it's, it's, it's able to distinguish between good and evil, to distinguish between whether it's God directing or me directing what I want to do. It's discerning. The third thing we told you was love is what? Loyal. When you love somebody, you don't throw them away when they mess up. But you also love them enough to challenge them to do life differently. If I'm in relationship with you and you come to me and we start talking and I find out you got a side chick. I know what that is. <laughs> thank you, Jeff. You, you, you got a side. Hello. And you're going to use me to cover for your time with your side chick or your side dude. Because there are, see, I told y'all this before. Men, we always think it's men that are out there slipping and tipping. But there are some married women doing the very same thing, and they're, they're stealth and they're undercover, under the radar, to the point that but you don't even know what's happening. And it should not be happening in the church, but it is. Can I talk to you all? Why do you think that the divorce rate is just as high in the church as it is in the world? When we should know how to do it because God is the one who instituted the, 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 the institution of marriage and we should know how to do it right. But many of us don't ever study it. Many of us don't ever take time to, to go through the word of God and figure out how should I relate to my spouse. And as a result, we have divorce in the church at just as high a rate as it is in the world. We should be doing it differently. But love is loyal. Jonathan's relationship with David was a, a, a show of, 
of, of that type of loyalty that love exhibits. And we said lastly, love is unselfish. Now I want to go, if you will, go with me. Uh, let's go to go back to John, the thirteenth chapter. I want to read that. I want to. I want to. I want to go to First Thessalonians, the second chapter, because I want to read this to you, because I think it's very important for us to hear and to understand uh, what this looks like. John 13, verse 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35. Everybody say, love one another. Let's begin uh, reading there at verse number 34. It says what? Let's read together. So now... I need you. Come on, we got to read together, okay? Who's talking here? Let's say it again. Who's talking? All right, he says what? So now I am giving you a new commandment. Who's he talking to? Disciples? He says, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Next verse. Let's go. Your love for one another will prove to the world. Oh, I thought it was going to be because you spoke in tongues. Oh, I thought it was going to be because you served the homeless. Oh, I thought it was because you went on a missionary trip. And it really was a missionary trip, but it's sort of like a vacation. Because you, you, you gave out a little, a little bit of food, you never talked to really anybody, you just, and then you spent the time on the beach and called it a mission trip. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Is it any wonder that the world is doubting the validity of our discipleship when they see how we as Christians relate to one another? I'm just reading the Bible, y'all. Can y'all read with me again? He says what? Your love for one another prove to the world it's not because you got baptized. It's not because you go to a Baptist, Episcopalian, a, a, a Church of God in Christ, or a Pentecostal church. That ain't got nothing to do with proving that you're his disciple. He says this, your love for one another will prove that. Look at what Paul says here. Go with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Everybody say love one another. I was at a funeral with my, my wife's uh, uncle passed away. He was, the, he was the last of 26 brothers and sisters. Wow. Papa was a rolling stone. <laughs> Papa Charlie had 26 children. But, it was, it was, but they were playing a song there it, it, as they were doing the video presentation and it was Al Green uh, song they, they, well, so they played doing the thing. It said, love will make you do right. <laughs> but it also said, love will make you do wrong. Now, I don't know about what Al was talking about, but the kind of love that I am talking about is the God kind of love, and that kind of love will make you do right. Yeah. Are y'all with me today? So, so, so let's watch this. Let's look at the Apostle Paul as he writes to, in verse number one, uh, to the church at Thessalonica, okay? He's writing to this Gentile church. He says, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not what? It was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Watch this. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly, what? In spite of great opposition. Verse 3 says what? So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God. What? Stop! Stop! Let's go back. I want you to highlight that. I want you to underline that. I want you to make a mental note of what the Apostle Paul just said as he's talking to the church at Thessalonica. He said what? Our purpose. Pastors who may be listening to this, stop trying to please people and do what God told you to do. I will tell you that there there are a lot of preachers who are afraid to speak truth because they're afraid the deacon's going to call a meeting on them. Mm-hmm. 
and vote them out the church in those churches that have that type of that 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 that, that organization construct where the pastor is nothing but a hired gun. And that is not when you go to scripture, you can't find that type of model for ministry in the word of God. Preachers, pastors speak truth and stop trying to please people. Now, y'all don't know me by now, right? If you've been here for, for half a minute, you should know me by now, right? What I'm going to do is I'm going to crack this open and we're going we're to exegete the text. That's a fancy word for knowing who's writing, who's he writing to, what's the scenario, what is he dealing with. And then now we're going to have proper hermeneutics. We're going to have modern day application. How does that apply to my current day situation? We're going to go into the word of God and we're going to preach it. I'm going to say it in a way that you can understand it. I'm not going to use big words that, that everybody should know with the eyes gloss, glossing over. Like, what in the world is he talking about? You're going to know. And now it's going to be up to you to do what the Word of God says. Are y'all with me? That's just the way I roll. Because I told God, I'm, I'll share the Word of God. That's all I know. And guess what? It has been good when we do that. But there are a lot of pastors. Let me, y'all pray for pastors. There are a lot of pastors who don't have, the, or they don't think they have the liberty to preach the unadulterated truth. So they soft-pedal stuff. They won't say what the Word of God says. But I'm not that kind of pastor. Are y'all with me? I'll tell y'all before. If y'all did get mad at me for speaking the truth, I know how to do other stuff. God, I'll go back to banking if I need to. But see, listen, when I left 20 years ago, I left on the command of God. I stepped out on God's word. I stepped out in faith. And God has been so good, faithful, and gracious to lead us to where we are today. And there's so much more that God is going to do. Man, I wish I could say everything because everybody can't handle all of the vision because it will blow you away. Some of y'all couldn't handle the vision if God had told you 20 years ago that you would be a member of this church in Ben Louisiana. It would have blew your mind. Are y'all with me? At 20 years of old, a staffer from Mansfield, Louisiana, if, if God had a came, you said, I'm going to have you in Benton, Louisiana, and I'm gonna, you're going to marry a girl from Houghton, Louisiana. You probably said, God, no, 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 God, no, God. I love sisters over here, but God, but you, you, you here. We better be glad that God don't show us everything that's coming down the pipe because it would mess some of us up. And so God just takes us step by step, faith by faith, to get to where we need to be. But some of y'all, would, it, it would have blew your mind had, you, had God shown you sitting here as a member of Elizabeth Baptist Church in Benton, Louisiana. Would have totally blew your mind. But yet, here you are, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to preach the truth. Lest I get sidetracked here, look at what Paul says. For we speak as what? Messengers approved by God. What? To be entrusted with the good news. Paul, just like you and I, have been entrusted with the good news of the gospel. The, the, the unifying, amen, power of the gospel. The gospel that's ever able to transform a man's life, to transform a woman's life. I don't care what you've done. You're a murderer. You're a, you're a thief. Whatever you may have been, you may have sold drugs. But God can change you. If you begin to doubt the transformative power of the gospel, if you can't believe that God can take a a, a dude like Saul, as I told you on last Sunday, who sat by and held the clothes of those who stoned, amen, Stephen to death, God could change that dude and allow him to be the most influential writer in the New Testament. That is a a living witness of the power of the gospel to transform a man's life. So let me keep reading. Our purpose is to what? Say it again. Our purpose is what? Our purpose is what? Please God, not people. He alone examines what? The most of our hearts. Verse 5, let's read. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know, 
And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. This is Paul. Paul landed down to says, as apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you. But instead, we were like children among you. What Paul is saying is, as, 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 as part of my apostolic responsibilities, as part of my spiritual covering for you, I certainly did have a right, like others do, to receive financial support from you, but I chose not to. Are y'all tracking with me today? Let me go back and say this in case the pastor, listen to it. It is right, church, to support, amen, your pastoral leadership and those who are working in ministry. Because those who are working in ministry have to eat too. I said, those working in ministry have a mortgage too. Well, you know, take a bow of poverty. No, I'm not taking a bow of poverty. I'm I'm, I'm submitting my will to God. Can I prove it to you right quick? This is not on my sermon list, but I got to show you because some of y'all from Missouri. (laughs) You're from the show me state. So I can I show you go to first Corinthians nine. Hold your place there. We're coming right back. And my time is running, so y'all got to run with me. First Corinthians, the ninth chapter. Are y'all with me? Verse number one. First Corinthians, chapter number nine, verse number one. This is for somebody. Now, listen, I said this before. This church does well, uh, and it's truly organized in how they do the work of ministry. Listen, you guys are, are Jew. I promise you, you are. You're all Jew. That's why God has enabled us to do a lot of the outreach and the mission stuff that we're able to do because you, you, you support the work of ministry with your tithes, offering, and sacrificial giving. It takes money to do ministry. Amen. It takes money to serve the homeless. Yeah. It takes money to do missionary work. Amen. Amen. These lights are on. And sometimes they get me warm up here, but they are on, but it costs money for them to be on. You think AEP Schwebco says, well, that's a church up in Bend. Man, they're doing an awesome work. Oh, praise the Lord. That doll, all Adams fell. I remember when he was a little boy playing football at Bend. Let's not charge them. Do you think they say that? Even if they want to do it, they're not doing it because somebody high up said, we got to make some money. But watch what the text says. Can, I, can, can y'all walk with me right quick? Let's go. Paul is writing to whom? Church at Corinth, notice what he says. Am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? He's talking to Church at Corinth, y'all. Even if others think I'm not an apostle, I certainly am to you. If the person who got you saved, if the person who restored your broken marriage is there, if nobody else should think they're real, you should. They led you to the Lord. You wouldn't be married today had they not stepped in and helped you get together. You wouldn't be married today. Your, your child would be still wavering had they not stepped in and, and begin to counsel whoever it was. If nobody else believed it, you should believe that person. That's basically what Paul is saying. I certainly am to you. You yourselves are proof that I am what? Because there were some who were doubting Paul's apostleship. Y'all know that, right? And anytime you do the will of God, there are going to be people who will doubt the validity of your work. Because all that live godly in Christ Jesus is going to do what? Suffer some persecution. So if you ain't suffering no persecution, maybe you ain't living godly. If nobody is talking about you, maybe you're not really living godly enough. Hello? Even as others think I'm not an apostle, I certainly am to you. You yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. Next verse, let's go. Come on, y'all. This is my answer to those who question my authority. Paul is laying it down here in verse number four. Can we go there right quick? Let's read. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a believing wife with us as the other apostles and the Lord's brother do and as Peter does? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? Everybody else you're supporting. What about Barnabas and I? But watch what he says. Listen, what soldier has to pay his own expenses. How many of y'all were in the military? Okay, in the military. Let's get a hand for all our military, those who served in the military. I say this all the time. 
Dude, man, listen. Ladies and gentlemen who serve in the military, I admire you because you're at the beckoning call of these United States of America. You have to go overseas for two years or three years, and sometimes you're away TDY from your family, and you can't choose not to go. So I admire you. I admire your sacrifice. And that same type of sacrifice, Brother Robert, God says we are soldiers in the army of the Lord. And we should be willing to go wherever he tells us to go. Can I get a witness? What soldier has to pay his own expenses? When you moved in the military, move you. Come on, Jerry, did, he pay, did they pay to move you? Now, once you got out, they didn't pay for it, did they? But while you're in there serving your country, they pay for your move. They're not going to send you to war and say, buy your own gun, <laughs> buy your own plane. No, nobody does that. He says, what soldier has to pay his own expenses? What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of his fruit? How many of y'all plant gardens? <laughs> Ain't got too many in here, do we? <laughs> Somebody said, my garden is Walmart in Brookshire's. But if you plant a garden, what farmer plants a field of crop and doesn't have the right to eat some of his fruit? What shepherd cares for a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink what? Some of the milk. Verse number eight. Let's go, y'all. Am I merely a human opinion? Or does the law say the same thing? Watch what he says. Let's go. Next verse. For the law of Moses says... You must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Ox out there pulling the plow, working the field, and you're not going to feed him. Ox going to kill over and fall out and die. You must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Verse number 10, let's read together. Come on, let's go. Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us. So that the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect a what? A share of the harvest. Verse number 11. Let's read. Since we have planted spiritual seed among you, aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But Paul says, okay, you support these other guys, these other, other people who are coming and pastoring and ministering to you, the other apostles, but what about us? He says, I got a right. To, uh, he says, I have a right to do that. But notice what he says here. Look, look at this. And I got to move on. If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than to be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. You know why Paul didn't receive anything from them? Because there were some in the church who accused him for preaching for the wrong reasons and preaching for the money. Paul said, listen, I ain't even, I'm not even going to give you that, that little platform. I'll work as a tent maker to keep your mouth shut. But it is my right to receive from you. Are y'all with me? So if somebody is feeding you spiritually, then you should, it, it, by, by what Paul says, you should also be willing to support that person who's feeding you. In other words, don't starve the pastor, don't, don't, don't starve the youth pastor, don't starve, starve the evangelist. Whoever's feeding you spiritually should be able to receive from you, okay? That's all he's saying. Are y'all with me? Is that Bible? Okay, so let's get back to our, to our, our study here because look at Luke, the 10th chapter. Come on, doggone it. Luke chapter 10, verse number 25. Let's get there right quick. Now, I, I left, I left, no, we got to go back. I, I left you somewhere. I can't leave you hanging, right? We were in 1 Thessalonians, right? Yeah. Chapter number two, is that right? Yeah. Come on, let's get back there real quickly. And I got, I, I got to hit it and get off of it. Yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all are. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will have you. I, and I don't know why he had me go there, but I, I think I just need to share that. Watch what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Um, here's like verse number 7. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for our own children. We love you so much that we share with you not only God's, watch this, we share with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. And that's what I'm getting at, guys. 
He says, not only will we just share you the good news of the gospel, but we share our lives with you. You all hear me use the term authentic gospel community. That means that our, if we're, if we're really going to do this the way God wants us to do it, our time together can't just be on Sunday mornings. Are y'all track with me today? If we're going to be disciple believers who are totally sold out, our time together has to be more than just coming together on Sunday. Now, most of us grew up in a, in a religious construct where that's what it was all about, Sunday morning. We're going to go to church. We're going to dress up. We're going to go. And we never really did life together outside of church. We never really served in a, in a broad way together outside the church. We never, you know, did life together, sat down and shared meals so we can get to know one another a little bit better, right? So if I'm eating a meal with you, uh, I'm probably going to get to know you a little bit better than when I see you on Sunday, right? Because when people start eating, they start talking. You ever notice that? Especially if the food is good. When you invite somebody to dinner and the food is good, they get relaxed. And then now, if they got a little cuss in the middle, slip out. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I was just uh, at, at the repast on yesterday. Uh, I was uh, talking. This is, this is a, a, again, Mama Kirk's uh, brother passed away. And then one of the Ellis relatives was there. And I first, first started talking to this guy. He was telling about his story, how, how he was diagnosed with stage four cancer and how God had delivered from that. He, he had all kinds of things that had happened to him, and he was giving God praise and glory for that. And he said, I know that that's something that God wants us to do. But the more we ate and the more he talked, <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed the conversation. But at first it was the Lord this and the Lord that, and then all of a sudden it was this and this and S this and A this. And he got comfortable because he was eating. And he was getting full, and the food was good. And so the real him began to expose itself, even probably unbeknownst to him. So he, he forgot all about that. I was a preacher. I mean, I, when I go somewhere, let me say something to y'all. I don't go somewhere telling, introducing myself as reverend or pastor. I'm Doyle Adams. I thank God for what he's called me to do. But I, I, listen, I am the last person in the world who gets hung up on titles. Are y'all with me? I just want to know that you're willing to work, work and serve. Let's do, let's do life together as born-again believers. But it's going to take us doing more than just here on Sundays. To get to know each other, to encourage each other, to walk with each other. Okay? But watch what he says. Paul says, we love you so much that we share with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. We did, Paul said, I did life together with you. Number nine, don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God that we were devout and honest and thoughtless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and in his glory. All right, 13 and 14 for good measure. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you receive his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. Now, I want to ask you a question. Whenever you come to listen to a message, are you sitting back to thinking what that Doyle Adams fellow is going to say to us today? I know him. I've known him all his life. Is it Doyle Adams? Or are you, are you spiritual enough to know and understand that I am simply a messenger who's here trying to hear from God, and I'm going to speak what God's word says, and you can check me out in the Bible? To verify that what I'm saying is true, I'm just reading you from the scripture right today, right? So I am a messenger who's giving you what God has given me to give to you. But do you see it as just just another man up there talking? Look at what Paul said about the Thessalonican believers. He says, you accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. It's still working in those who believe. If you believe, it'll be shown in your actions. 
Faith is backed up by corresponding action. What am I doing? Love is an action word. I like what Romans 5 and 8 says, but God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Carolyn, Christ died for us. Commended means he demonstrated his love. Love has to be demonstrated. Quit talking about how much you love your spouse, how much you love your children, how much you love your job, how much you love your church, and start demonstrating that you love your church. You love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Demonstration. You know, y'all know by now one of my favorite songs is Show and Tell. That's the game I play. When I want to say, I love you. Oh, show me and tell me that you feel the same. That's from the 1974, y'all. That's on the 40 looking at me like I'm crazy. Go and Google it. Show and tell is the game I play when I want to say I love you. If you say you love Jesus, show it. Demonstrate it. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Demonstrate your love. Tired of people just talking. Demonstration. So, so, all right. And lastly, let, let, let's get back. I, I got I to move. So go to Luke 10 right quick. Luke 10, come on. Praise the Lord. Man, I don't know why this happens to me. <laughs> I promise you all that was not in my notes. I mean, just that scripture was there. But I, 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 I got to believe it was good for what ails somebody here today. Go to Luke 10. So we're going to see an illustration of Christian love here. This is, this is a very familiar passage of scripture. Uh, but you have to always be careful with familiar passage of scripture because we think we know it. And then the Holy Ghost will reveal something else. So you got to be paying attention. Luke 10, 25. Are y'all there with me? Luke 10, 25. Let's read. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple of Sippel, the says a Levite, walked over and looked at him. Kept on going. Look at it. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by what? On the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wound with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to, a, to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If this beer runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, Jesus asked the question. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same thing. Can I put a little doll-ology on it? Go and do the doggone same thing. That's just, the Bible, KJV didn't say that. The NIV didn't say that. That's doll Go and do the doggone same thing. But let's look at this right quick. In my short amount of time, oh, I hate to do y'all this way. But in your notes, there are three facts about the Samaritan that, that should teach us something about what Jesus means when he commands us to love one another. He, uh, a very important question, guys, is asked by this lawyer in our text. But I want y'all to notice Jesus didn't answer right away, did he? He decided to draw that man out to see if he would be able to answer it on his own. So what is, he says, he, he asked the question. Now, l- let me say something. 
I told y'all this before. Anytime Jesus asks a question, he already knows the answer to the question when he asked it. He's just asking the question to show you where you are, to show us where we are. Are y'all with me? He, he asked when he, Jesus was constantly asking questions of his disciples. He knew the answer, but he's trying to get them to understand where they are. Because sometimes we think we're at a certain place when we're really not. So, so what does the law say? Jesus asked this, he asked this question knowing that the man was an expert in the law. He knew he was. He knew the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. He knew it backwards and forward. So Jesus, being the master teacher that he is, he's bad, y'all. Everybody say he's bad. He's bad. I ain't say mad to say he's bad. Everybody say he's bad. He, 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 being the master teacher that he is, he led the man to discover the answer on his own. The lawyer said, love the Lord thy God with all the heart, with all your strength and all your mind and, with, and, and all your soul and, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody say, good answer. Amen. Come on, like family food. Good answer. Everybody say, good answer. Amen. Good answer. <laughs> Jesus agreed and commended the man for his wise response. The entire law of God can be summarized in these two phrases, but the lawyer wasn't finished. Verse 29 says the man wanted to justify his action, so he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Smart aleck. <laughs> to answer his question, Jesus told a story that most would agree is the greatest illustration ever told of what a neighbor really is. Uh-huh. Now, I want y'all to note, note something. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho winds 17 miles through a wilderness of rocks and ravines, and it was notoriously a hangout for hardened criminals who would just lie in wait for that, for that poor, poor little slump that was going to come through there, uh, and, and for any person who's traveling along, and they would attack him, they would rob him. This 17-mile stretch had earned the nickname the Way of Blood. Now, if there's a place that's called the Way of Blood, I probably don't want to go that way. But needless to say, people travel that way. The world can be a dangerous place, which y'all agree? And this parable that Jesus told is indicative of the times that we're living in today. Paul in the second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, shares with us what the climate will be like in the last days, and we see it happening today. But, but guys, I want you to understand something. He, Jesus is very purposeful here. He utilizes a Samaritan and a Jew. And let me say something. Uh, when he uses this 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 this, this this par- parabolic example here, he's actually cracking open the minds of his followers to understand that his impending crucifixion was going to do something that, that many in the world at that time could not even have fathomed. Through his crucif- crucifixion on the cross of Calvary, through his blood being shed, amen, for the sins of mankind, Jesus was going to bring two hated groups together. Out of two people group, he's going to make one. So y'all do know, just for theological purposes, uh, when you look at the Bible, there's only two ethnicities, Jew and Gentile. Amen. Either you were God's chosen people, Jews, or you were a Gentile. Whatever you want to call yourself. Listen, I, I told y'all before, it's, it's great to celebrate our ethnicities, but don't make your ethnicity your God. Celebrate. Yeah, we're going to celebrate Black History Month because we're going to celebrate that ethnicity, that culture. Nothing wrong with that. But don't make it your God. Are y'all tracking with y'all? Why y'all always get quiet when I say that? I can back it up with Bible. Hello? It is not about anything except Jesus Christ our Lord. Don't you know God in his infinite wisdom made us different? And as a matter of fact, our differences when we come together as one, united in Christ, is the Bible says it's, it's a demonstration of the manifold wisdom of God in the earth realm, where God shows us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, he can bring everybody together on one common ground. And as the world sees that unity, as the world sees this church become more ethnically diverse and begin to see us doing the work of ministry, supporting ministry, amen, funding missions, out there serving together, they're going to say, what is going on up in Benton, Louisiana? And we're going to be able to point to them and say, we're just doing the word. 
We're just doing what Jesus said. We're not going to let our history, we're not going to let those past relationships stop us from being biblical. And I'm willing to preach it. Hello? And I'm not scared if somebody's going to, if you leave, amen, God bless your soul. But I'm, I'm, I'm just sharing the gospel. And I, God, God I, listen, I'm telling you what God told me. I may not know a lot of things, but I know when the Lord is talking to me. When the Lord told me I'm going to use you to be a bridge, I took him at his word. Now, sometimes when people are going over the bridge, you get walked on when you're on the, when you're the bridge, right? But the bridge still connects. And we're going to connect the body of Christ in such a way, I believe, that the world cannot deny the unity that's being displayed in this church. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. All right, so, so three things. Right, watch this. So, uh, 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 number one, the, the Samaritan cared about a man he had never met. He didn't check to see if, if the beaten man was someone he might know. The mere fact that this guy was hurting and in trouble was enough to stir his conscience and move him to action. He cared about a man he had never met. Second thing is a Samaritan assisted a man who was his natural enemy. See, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. This was ethnic uh, 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 hatred, ethnic, uh, racist, how you want to call it. I, I, I've said this in, in my terminology is being changed. There's only one race, and that's the human race. There are different ethnicities within the human race, but, but, but because of history, everybody say history, these two people groups hated one another. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They refused to deal with each other. It was said that a Jew would rather eat with swine than with a Samaritan. Remember when Jesus stopped and talked with the woman at the well in Samaria? Y'all remember that? His disciples were literally dumbfounded that he would talk to a Samaritan woman. And in public, at that. But in Jesus' parable, it was, here it was a Samaritan who refused to turn away from an injured Jew, though the man's people had despised and rejected him. God, hear me carefully, God asked us to minister to people who opposed us. I think about Dr. Martin Luther King. We just celebrated his birthday on this past January 15th. Do you not realize that there are a lot of African Americans who were not with Dr. King? Because he said, we're going to address these social issues, but we're going to do it from a gospel, biblical worldview. We're not going to try to kill everybody, even though it may inside, maybe the hatred that, that's, that's shown toward us, it'd be easy to try to show hatred back. But he said, kill them with love. I'm paraphrasing that. He said, we're going to use love. That was against the norm. That was against what a lot of people were saying. But he used love to transform the world. Didn't make sense, but it was God's, God's leading. And see, when you learn to follow God, it may not make sense to the world, but you just stay with God. Everybody say, stay with God. God actually submits to people who oppose us, who resist us, who criticize us. You know why he wants us to do that? Because he loved us even though we were selfish and ungrateful in so many things. He loved us while we were yet sinners. That's what the Bible says. And, and guys, listen, history is important for us to know. Because the reason why this was a very, this parable that Jesus told, it would, it, would, it would have been shocking to those who were listening because of the intense hatred between these groups. Most followers of Jesus today have no idea of the ethnic tension, division, and hatred that existed in the world in which Jesus lived. This ain't nothing new. Sociologist Rodney Stark writes that one of the major reasons why Greco-Roman cities were so prone to riot was deep-seated racial conflicts and hatred. In, in the biblical language, language, I told you, anyone who's not Jewish or a descendant of the 12 tribes of Israel was a Gentile. For Jews in the time of Jesus, the pagan Gentile Romans ruled Israel and most of the known world at that time, they ruled it with an iron fist. And many of the Jewish people in Israel and throughout the Roman world would have felt like God had abandoned them. But when they, when they, saw, the, when they saw Gentiles, the entire history of the Jewish people would have, re, would have reminded them that the Gentile Egyptians held their ancestors as slaves for 400 years. And that Pharaoh had ordered the murder of their male babies 
because their population was growing too fast. They knew all this, amen? In this case, uh, the Pharaoh was, was feared losing power because, uh, and, and privilege because the, 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 the Jewish population was growing so strongly. And in similar fashion, Jewish history would have reminded a Jew of Jesus' time, that in Jesus' time, that the Gentile Amorites, the, the, you remember those, all those ites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all of them sites. All of them, they waged war against them and tried to keep them from entering the promised land. They would have been reminded of their ancestors' captivity in Assyria and Babylon. We study in Daniel right now, Babylonian captivity, and how the, the evil Gentile Haman wanted to wipe all the Jews from the face of the earth. If not for Queen Esther, y'all, who was a Jew, Haman would have carried out his plan of genocide. Again, history is never really history. It's a way of informing our present. You don't know why things are today unless you study history about why it happened. And it, it boggles my mind, these crazy folks who are trying to erase history out of history books. That is asinine. Listen, God's word, history happened. It happened. And then we're going to learn from it and we're going to grow from it. We ain't going to hide it. Well, it makes me feel bad. So what? That it wasn't you. Why are you feeling bad? Speak the truth. We got to learn to talk about it. And see, here's what God is doing with I believe in this church. If you don't know anything else, I'm free. To, listen, I go into a room. I, I can be the only black guy. It don't, it don't phase me one iota. I'm, I'm not intimidated one second. And I can talk about everything I need to talk about. And see, my, I hope y'all catch my spirit too. Because see, I, listen, I, I'm, I look at people as children of God, as someone that God loves. I don't look at you and automatically begin to not purposely automatically begin to make a determination about you when I don't even know you. That wouldn't be godly, would it? And so, but we have a tendency, if we're not careful to do that, we have those implicit biases that we're making determinations on people who we don't even know. But what about when the world sees this little old church in Benton? In Benton, Louisiana, God is doing something that manifolds, that manifests his wisdom to the world. To show what it's like to love unconditionally. To show what it's like to come together, not for, for, for a social experience, but for the gospel's sake. Our unity and our diversity is for the gospel's sake. For the world to see God's power to transform human lives and to use his church to reach the world with the gospel. Gosh, dog, my time is up. But in, in, our, in, our next, in our next one another, I'm going to still pick on this bone. Because this next one another is going to get to the heart of what's, what's wrong with the church. See, we've been for too long, and, and, and let me say this right quick, because I know we got an election year and all this politics stuff coming up. Listen, it, we should be civically involved and engaged. But the moment that you as a Christian start trusting politics versus the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform a community, you've got things out of order. And what we're going to learn to do as a church is, is to freely talk about issues from a biblical worldview, and we're going to talk about things that we need to talk about, and we're not going to get offended. We're going to talk, and we're going to share, and I'm going to teach. Have y'all discovered I don't have a problem teaching? If you, we're going to talk, and I, I, I don't mind talking about hard things because I know the power of the gospel can transform. Like, can it do it, Brother Jeff? It can transform lives. Can it do it, Brother KD? It can, tra- call, can it do it? He, it Ella, he can, tra- the gospel can transform lives. And the world will not get it right until the church gets it right. Yeah. Until some of these pastors start dealing with the sin in the camp. White and black, Hispanic and Asian. Until these pastors start acknowledging there's some stuff in our congregation that needs to be rooted out. And not be afraid to teach it because you're scared people are going to leave. Listen, people leave, let them leave. I promise you God will send somebody who has a heartbeat for ministry when you stand on truth. So I'm excited. Man, listen, uh, Jeff, Jeff asked me how long this is. I don't know. 
But there's a lot of one another's in there. And Eric, we just starting out with the first one, love one another. I got to close on this. And again, I'm going to pick up some of this next week. I'm moving from love one another, but, but this, this kind of brings us to the next thing because we're going to see uh, when we deal with the, the woman at the well. This ethnic hatred and stuff that's in the church, I, I ain't talking about the world, y'all. I'm talking about the church. Had the church stood on gospel truth way back 200 years ago, we wouldn't have some of the stuff that we had. It was the church that abdicated its responsibility to speak gospel truth. And I'll be doggone if I'm going to let it happen in this church. Can the church say amen? I got to stop. I got to stop. Father, we thank you.